and I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. And what I want to do today is speak to you on an issue or an urgent matter. Um, I want to speak to you on an urgent issue. That is first the necessity of prayer in our church. Prayer is a necessary activity in our church, but prayer shouldn't just be seen as an activity that we do that you append to the other activity. It's just, it's not one of the things the font does. It is what the font does. Prayer is not just a part of the list of programs that we do. Prayer is not just a part of the ministry or one of the ministries that we do at the font. How, prayer should be what the font does. Prayer is the culture of our church. We want to instigate and establish a culture of prayer at the font. Why? Because our city needs it. If we take an observation real quick and look at the spiritual countenance of our city, we would see that there's an urgency right now in our city to pray. We need to pray because we find ourselves right now in the posture of a battle. We are fighting a battle. And if we're going to fight a battle, we have to take a battle posture. Um, if you were here just two weeks ago when we had um, ushered in the year, actually, no, it's about a week now. Uh, we ushered in the new year with our watch night gathering. We talked about battle posture. We talked about a battle posture that our battle posture will be on our knees. And so this is a continuation of that. As we seek the Lord for revival, we're going to pray. We're praying to God, believing that God is going to institute a revival. If we're going to see a move of God manifest in our city, we're going to need to pray. Prayer precedes revival. When we see the narrative of the Holy Spirit pouring out um, in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, we saw that prior to that, in Acts chapter 1, the people of God prayed. They strategized and they prayed. We've been thinking, we've been strategizing. The time has come now for us to come together and to pray. So after this gathering, after this message, sorry, um, we have a Zoom meeting. The link is going to be right there on the screen. It's probably on the screen right now. We want, we want you to join us in prayer. If you're here at 1030 for our 1030 gathering, right after this message, we're going to go on Zoom and we're going to pray together, seeking the face of the Lord, seeking revival for our city, because we believe that prayer is not um, siloed. It's not something that we ascribe only to the prayer warriors or the prayer ministers in our church. No, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. He didn't say when my prayer warriors, he didn't say when my pastors, he didn't say when the apostles, he didn't say when the prophets or the deacons are called by my name. He said, my people, that is all people. He's asking us all to come together and to engage in him in prayer. Why? Because prayer is powerful and he's calling the entire body of Christ to engage in prayer with him. So if we're going to pray, we're going to need to have the appropriate prayer posture. If we're going to pray, we need to pray appropriately. We need to establish a culture of prayer with the proper posture of prayer. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. If you're going to pray, you need to have the proper posture. Mm -hmm. Some of you may be hearing this right now. You're thinking, oh, hold on. What is pastor saying right now? Is he saying, is he saying I'm praying wrong? Like he's saying that I ain't praying right or like there's a right way to pray. If that's how you see it, 
Absolutely, that's what I'm saying. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. If you go to James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. By implication, if there's such thing as an effective prayer, then that means there is such thing as an ineffective prayer. Did you catch that? If there's such thing as an effective prayer, then there's such thing as an ineffective prayer, meaning many people will pray, but their prayer will not produce results. There's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. Yes, there is such thing as an ineffective prayer. Mm -hmm. In Isaiah chapter 16, verse 12, it speaks to this. When the Moabites had entered their temples to pray, but then Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 16, verse 12, he said their prayers would be ineffective. Or how about when you look at Psalm chapter 66, verse 18, when he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Or how about you take when Jesus was instructing the disciples when they had seen Jesus pray and they'd seen his example in praying, had asked Jesus how to pray, that Jesus opens up his instruction. He says in Matthew chapter six, verse seven, he says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they will be known for for they will be known for their many words. What he's saying, he's saying many people will pray, but not all their prayers will be effective. Did y'all catch that? Many people will pray, but God won't hear. There are many prayers that are being prayed, but these aren't prayers that instigate a move of God. James chapter four verse three says this. It says, "You do ask, but you do not receive." Because you ask with the wrong motives. Notice what he says there. You ask with the wrong motives. The word wrong motives there is kakos, which means improperly, which means that you're praying improperly, or which means that you're praying wrongly, or that you're praying miserably, as if you were someone who was sick or diseased. You see, he's saying that there's a proper way to pray and many of you ask and you do not receive because you are praying improperly. You are praying ineffectively. Many of us have grown up in church and we grew up in church, but we've never really been taught to pray. Many of us pray today, but our prayers are not proper. Many of us are praying improperly. And it's because of our improper posture of prayer that for many of us, our prayer lives are stifled. Our prayer lives are suffocating. And for a lot of Christians, their prayer life is dead. They actually don't even have a prayer life. There'll be somebody right now who's watching this and going, yeah, pastor, you're talking about me right now. You You say, all right, why is this man all up in my sauce right now? The reality is, is that When you do not know the proper posture of prayer, prayer becomes more of a chore than a life-giving activity. When you don't have the proper posture of prayer, it becomes something you just check off more than it's something that you desire to do. And because you have an improper posture of prayer, your prayer has no power. But prayer in and of itself is a powerful activity. Prayer is powerful. So if we're going to pray, 
and we're going to see results in our prayer, then we need to establish principles of prayer. We're going to need to pray properly. We're going to need to establish a principle or a posture of prayer. If we don't have the right principles and we don't have the right posture, then we won't see the power. Let me say that one more time. If you don't have the right principles and and you're not in the right posture, then you will not see the power of prayer. So where are these principles established? I want you to write this down, fam. Where are the principles of prayer established? Well, first of all, let me say this. You pray to the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. Or you could say you pray to the Father in the Son with the Holy Spirit. If that is our posture of prayer, then there are three principles that we have to establish that when we pray, we must pray in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. Did you hear that? When you pray, you must pray in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. This is just a primer so we can get, so we can kick off our prayer series. But I got to make sure that we're put in the right position. If you're going to pray, you need to pray in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. What am I saying? I'm saying you need to pray in Christ because you cannot access the Father that you're praying to unless you're in Christ. You need to pray through Christ. That is, that Christ is the very access that you have to the Father. And you need to pray by Christ. That is, that Christ is the paradigm of prayer. Jesus is the paradigm of prayer. If you're going to notice the principles of prayer and you're going to learn to observe, you've got to observe them in the prayer activity of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the paradigm of prayer. He's the example that we need to follow. We follow Jesus in order to understand the principles of prayer. So I want you to go to John chapter 17 real quick. And what we're going to do is we're going to eavesdrop here on a public prayer on the only recorded public prayer of Jesus Christ. Okay. We see another recording of Jesus' prayer, but this public prayer of Jesus after he just went on, you know, his preach right before he's about to go to the cross, right before he's about to be taken away. And in John chapter 17, this is what it says. So I want you to go there real quick. Because if we want to know how to pray to the Father, how to have access to God in prayer, we need to see how Jesus prays. So in John chapter 17, verse 1, I want you to read this along with me. John 17. And we're going to look at verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, 
glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I'm going to unpack this with more detail next week. We're not going to have time really to engage in a full exegetical discourse of the scripture. But there are three things that I want you to be attuned to, three truths that I want you to observe. And so I want you to write this down. These are three things you need to write down if you're going to instigate the right posture of prayer, to have effective prayer. So these are the three truths that I want to bring to your attention. It's this. And you can write it down. You can even put it in the chat as well. It's this. It's I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's one. Two, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And three, I have authority because of this. Let me say that again. One, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Two, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And three, I have authority because I'm in the Father and Father's in me, because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. So when we read the scripture, if there's one word, as I'm looking at the scripture here, if there's one word that I want to really point out to you today is how Jesus opens his public prayer. This is the one word that I want you to write down. Father. Write that down. Father. Jesus is teaching us something here. Jesus is instructing us that when we come before God, we need to come before him as he is our father. We must posture him. Not that, we, we, yes, we, we have to acknowledge that he's a creator. And yes, he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Yes, he is the king. Yes, he is strong and mighty. Yes, he is El Elyon. Yes, he is all these things. Yes, he is Yahweh. But when we come before God, we come as he is our father. He's all those things, but he's also our father. And if we're going to come to God, we have to come to God with that posture that we are his children. The reason why people are robbed of the power of prayer is because people have the inability to understand a lack of cognizance of the fact that God is their father. They have the inability to receive the spirit of adoption, that God, the creator of the universe, is your father. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was instructing the disciples. And how did he open that scripture? He opens up, sorry, how does he open up that prayer? He opens up that prayer to begin by saying this is our father who art in heaven. He begins with our father, which informs us that the sonship that Jesus enjoyed with his father is accessible to us. Jesus's sonship to God, the father, the creator of the universe, was not exclusive to Christ. That is, that through Christ, we all can become sons and daughters of God. <laughs> what does Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 say? Paul says this. He says, you are all sons of God 
through faith in Christ. Or how about Romans chapter 8, verse 14, when Paul tells us that those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. That is now that in Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit, you have access to God. You have access to the Father. Through Christ, God is your Father. Hmm. You see, Christ was God's plan. Christ was God's plan of bringing us back into God's family. Christ was God's plan of reconciling us back to him when we were separate from God, when we were separate from our father. It paints this image like the prodigal son who, while he was the son, was separate from the father because of his sin, because he chose to live his own life and to do his own thing. But even when he chose to live his own life and to do his own thing, he was a prodigal son. He still was the son, even though he was far from God, that his father was still his father. And for those of us who are prodigals, we can take the confidence and we can have the confidence that we are sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. Our sonship cannot be revoked when we are in Christ. And what I love about the imagery of God in Christ is that when we were distant from God and we were, when we were drawing near to him, God didn't wait for us to come to him. As a matter of fact, there are those of us, our testimony is we didn't go to God. We weren't seeking after him. We didn't chase after him. We were distant from him and nothing was drawing us to him. But God in the image extended himself through Jesus Christ, that Christ was the extension of him to come into our presence to come into our reality, to tabernacle along with us so that we can, be, we can be drawn to the Father. Notice that when the prodigal son was still distant from the Father, the Father still came and met the prodigal son right where he was because the Father wanted to draw him back into his presence. That is the image of Christ, that Christ was the extension of God who came to us to bring us back into the presence of God, that while we were still distant from him, Christ tabernacle with us. In John chapter 1, the scriptures tell us that he dwelt among us, that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. God came and met us right where we are so that he can bring us back into his presence. Christ came and suffered what we suffered. He experienced what we experienced. He went through the pain that we went through. He suffered the consequences of our sin that when we were distant from the Father, he paid that price on the cross because on the cross, when he took the sins of all mankind. He said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus suffered in that moment what we suffered from birth, that from birth we were distant from the Father, but Jesus on the cross gave us the hope that we don't have to die distant from the Father. As a matter of fact, we can live in the reality that in the Father, sorry, in Christ, we can experience our relationship once again with the Father, that it was on the cross that Jesus, while he experienced a fracture, he went in the grave with the fracture, but when he rose again, he ascended into heaven and he sat there seated at the right hand of the Father. Christ was reconciled to God and our faith in him that reconciles us to him, reconciles us to the Father. We have been adopted into the family of God because of God's extension to us in his work on the cross. You see, fam, you are a child of God, not because of your performance. You're not a child of God because you pray good. 
You're not a child of God because you got it all together. You're not a child of God because you didn't get drunk for the last seven weeks. You're not a child of God because, man, you know, um, I'm doing pretty good with this Bible reading thing. You're not a child of God because you pray good. You're not a child of God because you're an expert of prayer. You're a child of God because Christ came. You're a child of God because the Son set you free. You see, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You don't understand how profound of an image that was. That there were servants who were born of the Father, had the Father's DNA, but were still considered servants. It took the Son in Roman law to declare them to be children of God. And yet Jesus painting us this beautiful image that the Father's DNA was always in you. He breathed his life in you. He said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I already knew you. He already knew you. You have God's DNA. You are a child of God. He is your father. So when you pray, you pray as his child. You see, the right posture of prayer is to come before God, not as a judge, not as, a, as just a king. He is all of that. But you come before him as your father. You see, if you come before God as your father, it may change how you come before him, right? If you come before God as your father, you may come to him with a little bit of freedom, freely to be who you are because he loves you unconditionally. He just wants you to enter into his presence. Don't perform for God. He loves you just the way you are. So as we enter into this time and we close, this is what I want you to focus on today. I want you to focus in this time of prayer. And the link is right there. So you're seeing the link right now on the screen. That link that you see on the screen, I want you to join us in prayer. And when you join us in prayer, come boldly before your father's throne. Come boldly before the King of Kings. Come boldly before the Father who loves you and cared so much for you that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. Come boldly to that Father who knows he has his DNA in you. He says, I'm called by your name. You already have the family name. And he's saying now, come to my presence. Pray in me. Pray knowing that I am in you and you are in me. As Jesus says here, if we are in Christ and Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Christ and the Father is in me and I am in the Father and with that, pray with that mindset. I'm praying right now that God would release the spirit of adoption over your life. I'm proclaiming and imparting that right now, that God would pour out the truth of the gospel on you right now. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that there's a release of grace upon you, that you will not live anymore seeking to perform for God, but to live knowing that you've been chosen in him. I'm praying right now for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm proclaiming and declaring it right now for each and every person who's watching this, for each and every person who hears the sound of my voice. I'm praying right now that the glory of God is 
is released over your life, that you will begin to see who you are in Christ, beginning to see with authority who you are as his son and daughter. I'm proclaiming and declaring in the name of Jesus, the outpouring of the spirit of grace, the spirit of adoption that draws you into the presence of God. I pray right now in this time as you enter into prayer that you would feel the embrace of your father, your father who's been seeking after you with his arms wide open to receive you. Receive him right now. We declare that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.